Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. We ask that you would strengthen our hearts with your grace. And Lord, we also pray just for a vision for community, that that would rise in our hearts and that your word would give us next steps and also give us hearts to obey you. Lord, not um, just do what we want, but we want to obey you. And so I'm not in charge. Lord, you're in charge. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use this time uh, to heal us, to encourage us, to convict us, and, and Lord, just that we would see the future as bright. The unfolding future that is before us um, is all about being with you and obeying you and watching you do what you desire, and we want to bring the name of Jesus glory, so we give this service to you, the rest of it, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've uh, been in a series of conversations for the last seven weeks or so called The Blueprint, The Church God is Building. And it was my desire to share with you really just theologically and practically what the church of Jesus Christ is, what we do. And of course, at Northwest Church are pillars that hold up our mission. So we've talked to you about how we're going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given to us, his mandate on our lives. And we talked about reaching and restoring and equipping and sending, and that's the church that we are. And I just, to close this conversation, I wanted to talk to you about a church that builds community. And I want to just sort of go after this angle of, of the importance of building community, that this is God's desire and that he wants us to partner with him and with one another so that we can build a community that is vibrant in relationship with each other and that makes a difference in the world. And you know this, that it's important that we unify together. It's one thing that we come together and we know that we are God's family. All right, we know that's true. You and I are God's family. When we come to Christ and we believe upon him, we are now sons and daughters of God. The Bible's clear about that. But it also means that as we've been reconciled to relationship with our heavenly father, we are now being reconciled in relationship to one another, which means the person on your right and left and online, that we're brothers and sisters. He's not just our father, we're brothers and sisters of one another. But how many of you know, just because you're in a family doesn't make it a good one? Just because it's true that we are family does not mean that we've put in the energy and the effort and the time in order to make this what healthy and vibrant family should look like. And so I think it's important that we partner with the word of God and we partner with the heart of God so that you and I would be a shining example of what a good family in Christ really looks like. And it takes effort and it takes energy. It's sort of like when you go to the store and you buy a new bookcase. You know, God forbid we go to Ikea after church service or something. I don't know if you've been to Ikea, but it's sort of this uh, strange place. Everything's in Swedish, you know, in Sweden. I've never been to Sweden, and I don't think that's in my ancestry or whatever, but it's just this funny place where everything's got a funny name, and you know that if you buy something, you've got to go home and put it together. And so you bring that thing home, you're like, we got a new bookcase, and you bring the thing home, and you put it in your living room, and that's great. You got a box with a potential bookcase in it. And just because you bought it and just because you brought it home and just because you put it in your living room does not mean it is a functional bookcase. You might own it, and that is true, but you still got to do what? Put it together. It's got this thing, this little note that says, a sum assembly required. And I want to tell you today about the body of Christ. Some assembly required. At you and I, as we look at each other, just because we are in relationship, just because we factually are family does not mean that it isn't going to take something out of us in order to build together and be together and grow together. It's going to require a lot more of us than maybe we realize. And so I want to talk to you about that today. And first, I'd like to start us by talking a bit about a theology for community. A theology for community. And what am I talking about? I mean that when I do, when I officiate weddings, one of the things I get to do as a pastor that others don't 
um, is to officiate weddings. It's a blessing to stand with a couple on their wedding day when they say, I do. And not only do I get to witness that, but I actually get to officiate this ceremony. It's a beautiful thing. I used to not enjoy for formal things like this. When I first started being a pastor, I just wanted to preach. I was more of like a revivalist, you know, soul saved, disciples made, weddings. You know, was that? <laughs> that's how I started. Yeah. And you know why? It's because I felt like I wasn't good at formal things. You, you know, I've told you the story before where I was officiating a wedding. You probably don't remember this. I certainly remember this. I was officiating, uh, officiating a wedding of some friends. Uh, uh, the guy was on his way to being a police officer, and his whole family were Marines, and I dropped the ring like three times. Yeah, that's right. This guy, your pastor, dropped the ring three times. Not once, not twice, friends. Three times was the charm. And I remember looking over at the father, and he looks at me, big Marine dude, and he just shakes his head. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I agreed. <laughs> I said, you're right, man. I didn't want to do this anyways. Here's the ring. And I just walked away. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I felt like it. And so uh, I, I didn't like doing weddings in the beginning because I didn't want to mess it up. I wanted to honor the ceremony. I wanted to do a good job. And then I just made a decision. I'm going to do the best job that I can. And, and now I love, I love doing weddings. I love doing ceremonies. I love watching people fidget and they're just so afraid and they're looking at each other. I love you so much and we're never going to have problems. This is going to be amazing and you're God's gift to me and I'm God's gift to you and it's going to be perfect and all these other marriages, you know, they don't understand the love that we have and... I love it. I love looking into their face and praying for them, going, oh, God, help them, you know. <laughs> help them. Help them. <laughs> All the married people laughed harder. It was great. And so, but there's a scripture that I always read whenever I officiate a wedding, and it's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. And it talks about the man shall leave his father and mother and cling to be one with his wife, and the two shall become one. And whenever I read this passage, uh, when I'm sharing with the couple and with everybody that's there, I say that marriage is not an invention of men. It is the design of God. Why do I say that? Because this is not just a piece of paper we signed today. We are making a covenant to one another before God in front of all these witnesses. It is what God has called us to do. He has called us to come together. And I think like marriage and like the, being the design of God, I, I think we have to understand that community, that the church, us being brothers and sisters, that's not our invention. We don't just believe in institutional religion. We believe that the body of Christ is the family of God. It is actually God's design. This is his thing. And we may not get it right, and we may be messing it up sometimes, but it's still his design. And just because it hasn't worked very well up until this point, or just because we've made mistakes in all this, does not change the fact that it is of God, and the scripture is very clear about that. And we see just right from the beginning that we have this picture of God, and God has a Trinitarian nature, the Bible reveals that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he, was, he is entirely complete in himself. And there's a mystery behind the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, together. There's this sense of community and togetherness, but we really can't fully explain or understand the Godhead, but we know he was complete in himself. And the next thing we read about in Genesis chapter 1 is verse 26. It says, God says, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And so God creates us and he desires for us to be in his likeness, but we are image bearers of God. Every one of us, we're image bearers of God. God created Adam for community, for relationship. God did not need man. God created man because he wanted to be in relationship. And God looks at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So I will create a helpmate suitable for him. So he creates Eve. And so you have Adam and Eve and the two shall become one, Genesis chapter two. And from this covenant, this design of God, men and women, as they come together in covenant relationship, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Now I, I know that culturally today, it's not that I lack compassion on people that struggle, but culturally today we're told to believe in our culture that there is no distinction between men and women and that somehow the design is uh, love is love and it doesn't matter what you love and what you marry. And, and that's just simply not true. And, and I, don't, I don't lack compassion on people that struggle with same-sex attraction or, or maybe just in themselves, they sort of struggle with what truth is. I don't lack compassion for the struggle, but the struggle doesn't change God's design. 
And so we have compassion and we want to walk with people and we want to do that in a way where we're not these railing Christians. But we see, we don't have the right to change what the Bible says. And really, if we want to be blessed and we want to understand what God wants, then we've got to go to the word of God and say, this is what God's word says. And so we want to follow what God's word says, even if people struggle. We want to help everyone that struggles, whether it's us or others. We want to help people that struggle find the design of God because that's where the blessing of God rests. And so from this covenant of marriage of man and woman comes family and legacy. And that doesn't suggest that everybody's going to be married. Friends, listen, if you're single, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be married, but we are a family of God to one another and we minister to each other. You found family here, but it is to say that it is God's design. And here comes family. And, and so we're sons and we're daughters and we're mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. This is God's design. Family, this is the community that God had for us. And he wanted to connect with us in this way. It reflects something about him. But the next thing we read about is in Genesis chapter 3, we see how our sin God's design is community and family, but our sin, he told us not to sin, but our sin fractures the community and the family that God designed. We see that in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They walked away and it's not just that they disobeyed his commands, it's that they violated the relationship that God wanted with human beings. And we have to understand that. Sometimes you hear preachers preach or you, you see on a video or a teaching where a pastor's like, it's just breaking God's commands. And I just want to preach like that, you understand. And it's true, it's true, but, but the reality is if you could see it from the father heart of God, it's a violation of the relationship that he created us for. He made us to walk with him and when he said don't do this, it wasn't just about whether or not he was gonna draw a line and say let's just see if you cross it or not. It was like, I want you to stay on this side so that we can walk in covenant and relationship and all the fruit that's to flow from that. That's God's father heart, you understand? And so we crossed over that line. And from that point, our sin began to fracture this thing called community, this thing called family. We see it now in Genesis chapter four. We see two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel and doesn't want to take responsibility for it. We also see in Joseph's story in the book of Genesis, you remember Joseph, his father favors him, gives him a coat, the coat of many colors. So he's got this nice coat and his brothers are jealous and they get this idea that they're going to kill him. And, and then one of the brothers sort of negotiates that down to let's sell him because that's a better thing than kill him in their world. And they sell him and, and it's because of the sin of jealousy And then we have Miriam and Aaron, they grumble against their brother Moses, and they basically say, like, we can do what Moses does. You know, he's no better than us, and it's the sin of pride where they violate that relationship and their sin as they exercise that against their their brother. David's children, King David's children, turn against him, and one son actually tries to kill him and takes his wives And we also see it in the New Testament. We have Paul and Barnabas. They separate over a dispute over John Mark. Maybe it's the sin of anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. We don't exactly know, but we still have that sin that fractures community. And so we have, obviously we have obstacles, but we go back to what God made us for. And then we see in the person of Jesus that Jesus comes and it says he's the firstborn among many brethren is what the Bible calls him. He refers to himself as God's only begotten son. God is our heavenly father. He talks about God like a father. He continues to restore our understanding of relationship, of family. And we know that he takes sin out of the way for those that believe on Jesus, those that repent of their self-willed and sinful ways and say, I can't, but you can. I don't have, but you do have. Those that turn to Jesus and believe that his death on the cross was enough to cleanse and cover all of our sin and make us right with our heavenly father, we now enter back into the relationship of family. And in family now, guess what? We're brothers and sisters. How's that working for you? And so we, (laughs) so we have relationship with God and now that healing that's happened and the relationship that's been restored, now it's meant to flow out to each other. And, and, and we struggle with that. But Jesus wants us to understand that he's restored us back to family, to community. And this community that we have with each other is eternal. It never, ever fades. You can say, I don't like the person on my right or my left or my last church. You could say whatever you want. But the fact is you're going to see them forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> that's why forgiveness and love 
and being patient with each other, it matters because if we don't practice these things, right, we're kind of fooling ourselves in a way. And so we have a theology for community. It's God's design. But we must have a vision for community. We've got to go beyond just what is true in the word and say, well, what is, do we have a vision, a passion for it? And we see examples in the word. We see, for example, Jesus and his disciples, the Messiah, the Christ of God comes into our world. He's born of a virgin. He's raised. And for 30 years, he walks in that family that he has. And then he steps into his ministry. And one of the first things Jesus does is choose a group of 12 people. And he walks with these 12 individuals, knowing one of them's going to betray him. He eats breakfast with them. He teaches them. He gives them power and authority to do ministry with him. Then he eats dinner with them, and they sing together. They laugh together, and they have fellowship and relationship in their family. And it's just a beautiful picture of God really wanting to practically and personally restore us back to relationship, so much so that he sent his one and only son to show us the way. He had flesh on. He came and he became like us to show us the way. He's not only the payment for our sins, he's the pattern for our life. And certainly in the context, even as much as the content is important to us. And so Jesus shows us that. And I, th- I think it's really important that we sort of see this and, and the way he went about it. I know sometimes churches will make a strategy out of that. We'll call it the Jesus model and we have small groups. Well, Jesus did more than just meet with people at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. And there's nothing wrong with that. That may be where we start as a church because we have to organize and we all have busy lives and we work and we have family and all that. So we're trying to figure out how to do community together. And so we must do those things. But it's not just a strategy. He taught us a way of life. He taught us a way of life, to love each other, to be together. And we also see this in the early church, right when at least the Jewish church was born. We read on that day, there's 3,000 people that come to Christ in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Let me read this to you. I don't know if you know this, but it took me 15 minutes to get to our text. I just want to say that to remind myself. That was a long introduction. It says this in verse 42, they were the believers continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place for the apostles. These are miracles were happening. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions. And they were sharing with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, they continued with one mind. That's, that's unity that we're contending for. And they were in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Not long before this, I told you that it was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. As the Holy Spirit was poured out, Peter gets up, the apostle Peter, and he preaches a very clear sermon about the gospel. He makes the gospel very clear, and it's very convicting because he's, he's meaning to tell the people that are hearing him preach that it's partially they are responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, and yet that's why Jesus went to the cross was so that we might be saved. And the, the people who heard that said, what must we do to be saved? I mean, they heard this. It was so powerful. They responded right away. And he says, repent and believe and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And it says 3,000 people were saved and that, from that one sermon. And I don't know what it's like to baptize 3,000 people in a day, but I can imagine the water doesn't, is never going to look the same. One time we baptized in, a, in another church like 40 or 50 people in one night. It, was, it, was, it took us till 1 a.m. in the morning, and I just don't even want to tell you what the water looked like. Amen. It looked like we left it all behind. <laughs> you know, death and resurrection. <laughs> I mean, COVID and everything was in that water, all of it, you know. Um, anyways. So 3,000 people come to Christ, and the church explodes overnight. Now the church is is large. It was small. It's 120. They could all fit in a room. And now all of a sudden, nope, they can't all fit in this room. They couldn't, they'd have to fit into the gym in this room. You understand just how many people we're talking about. And the need for community was all of a sudden very, very important. How do we administrate this? How do we organize this? And the Bible actually gives us insight to how they built community around faith in Christ. It tells us this, five things real quickly. They were intentional in community with one another. It says they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The word devoted, speaking of commitment, 
intentionality. And we have to glean that. We have to understand this is what is required. It says that they learned together. This is the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. They, they didn't gather around, you know, the latest news, the current events, the politi- political perspectives. They didn't gather around those things. It doesn't mean they didn't discuss them. It means that that wasn't the centrality of their conversation. It was the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. That's what keeps a church together, by the way. When we start drifting and focusing on other things and we're not pointing to Jesus, we're not pointing to his word, we're not focusing on him. If we're not focusing on him, we lose commonality. And all of a sudden, we're, we're divided into our, these sections of who believes what and what. And when we do that, we lose why we're even here. Think about all the people in the room today and different perspectives on everything from ketchup to politics, you know? I mean, seriously, we all have different preferences and thoughts and backgrounds and upbringings and we come into this room and if we expect overnight that everybody has the same viewpoints on everything, it's just not gonna happen. I've seen people get offended for the slightest things, honestly, the slightest things. And they gathered around his word. His word stayed, stayed the centrality of their community. And they had real relationship with each other. We're talking about fellowship. This word fellowship can mean having things in common, commonality. They shared with one another. There was a togetherness. We also see that they spent time with each other. It says, to the breaking of bread. Now, <clears throat> I go to Subway once a week to get a sandwich. And when I go there, they ask me if I wanted to be toasted. And I say, sure. And in 15 seconds, they toast bread. I don't know what kind of oven they got going on down there, but I wish I could get one for 100 bucks. You understand? But that is not what it was like in the ancient world. In the ancient world, they had to build a fire. And to make bread and to make food, it took hours. So if you said, do you want to come over for dinner? You might as well ask, do you want to spend the night? Do you want to hang out with me for a day? It'd be the same invitation. And so they were together, they spent lots of time with each other, and they ate together, and eating a meal was a big deal. They prayed together, they focused on praying and asking of God and making requests of what God would do, and not just what they wanted or what they thought or what they tried to do themselves, but they actually prayed together and asked God to move. We see this in the early church. We can glean these things from community. They organized around this. They have revival And then they start to organize around these principles. This is what was central to their community. And I think we can glean from it. But hey, here's the deal. We might know all this and we might say, amen, Ben, I want all that. I want to spend time with people. I want to have things in common with people. I want to have unity. I want to be generous. I want to learn together. I want to be intentional. I want to pray together. I want this real relationship and all that I want, Ben. But I've got some hindrances in my life. And we do, don't we? We could say, man, we're family together, but that does not mean that we're not gonna have to put forth a lot of effort and energy. And let's just be honest, sometimes we're gonna have to learn how to heal. And I think we have to just sort of address the fact that we have hindrances to have the vibrant Christ-centered community that we are called to have. Well, what are some of these hindrances? I've just got a few of them. The first is our family history. We all were born in a different place. We have different ethnicities, different cultures. I mean, if you just look around our church, we've got pretty much everything you can think of. As we come together, there's so many differences, but God loves diversity and we must as well. You know, God doesn't make one snowflake the same. He loves diversity. And I love that about the Lord. And we appreciate, not only appreciate that, but we understand that as we all come together, it actually is the work of God. And so, but we come with a family history. And so we understand that from the scriptures that the family is meant to be a reflection of God and his love and relationship. But sometimes we are raised in a family where that was not the case. Maybe we didn't have the father that showed us who the the father was. Maybe we were robbed of, uh, or it made it harder for us to have a relationship with our heavenly father because our relationship with our earthly father was not good. Or maybe our mom 
or grandparents or brothers and sisters. Maybe we were taken advantage of, made fun of. Maybe we have wounds from growing up. Maybe there's shame on us from our family. Maybe those are estranged relationships. Maybe for some of us parents, we have sons and daughters that are wayward and we feel a sense of guilt and shame because maybe we didn't raise them the right way and we sit here today and we don't wanna enter into community because we don't want anybody to know that maybe we weren't the best parents and the more you know about me, the more you could potentially judge me and so I keep you at a distance. We all enter into this beautiful thing called the church with a family history. And for some of us, we enter into it with positive. We had a a wonderful family experience and we get to bring that in as a healing agent and share with people that it is possible for God to bless a family and to strengthen a family and to be an example to the world. Because the world, we are dysfunctional in our world. Our families are dysfunctional. I don't know how many talk shows there are that interview young people that had horrible situations in their family life, but it is like a thing. There are whole channels devoted to just listening to young people and their upbringing. I mean, honestly. And it entertains Americans and really people all over the world to hear people's dysfunction. Dysfunction entertains us today. Come on, I know it's true. You don't want to admit it, but it's true. Can I tell you that God can heal us from our wounds? Today, I'm going to. God can heal us from our family experience that maybe wasn't what it should have or could have been, and God can use this family to help us understand true family. Occasionally, there will be a few of us that will feel guilty for our church family being closer than our blood relatives, but let me just tell you, that's pretty normal, actually. It's pretty normal, and what God will do is he'll use this family to heal us as we come together so that we go and reach our blood relatives. That's the blessing of the Lord. And so God is invested in, in, in inviting, he's invested in healing us as we come together. Let me say this to you as well. When we come here often, sometimes for some of us, it takes a lot to even come here or, or in this, the world we're living in, come online as well. It takes a lot to do that and to stay faithful to that. And part of the reason that that is the case is because of where we come from and what we've experienced. And so even coming here, it just sort of seems like, gosh, you know, um, it's so much to get here. And then when we do, it doesn't take much to offend us because we're expecting that as we're here and as we participate with the family of God, it takes one thing to happen because we have these high expectations that everybody here is perfect. Now, it's this underlying thing, you know, because somebody didn't greet me the right way, somebody didn't do something the right way, somebody didn't say it the right way. Every person, which leads me to my next point, every person in here potentially has church wounds. And some of it comes from our expectations, and I would call them false expectations. This is more like a hospital than it is like that heavenly home. We're on our way to heaven, but right now we're all in the hospital awaiting, you know, that place that we're all going to be with Jesus together. It's a bad illustration. I understand that. But I want to tell you something that we can often come here and somebody will do something that just gets under our skin, say something, and and we can misperceive as well. It's not always a sin against us. Sometimes it's what we think happened because our perception can be such, but but we can actually have real church wounds. I don't want to ask for a show of hands, but I'm just sort of in the spirit. I see a lot of hands up and I say, how many of you have church wounds? (laughs) It's like, Because you're people, and where there's a lot of people, especially people with expectations, people that come here to follow Jesus and know that he's good, and he's changing us, and he's transforming us, and everything should be better here than it is out there, and sometimes we find out that we're all in this healing process, and so the person to my right or my left or in my small group or at service didn't do what maybe they should have, and they rubbed us the wrong way. Well, I just want to guarantee you something for the future of Northwest Church. It is going to happen a lot more. And this is what makes the principles of Christ that much more important. Forgive, love, be patient with, speak the truth to each other. I'm not asking anybody to be a doormat. I'm saying this is why we have to speak truthfully and honestly to each other. I'm known to being a very uncomfortably honest person. And I can tell you when I'm around people and they get uncomfortable, uh, you know, let me say it to you this way. I've had a lot of people say, yeah, I want, I want you to speak the truth to me. And then when you do, you're like, no, you don't. You did not. You lied to me because I told you the truth and uh, it didn't work out so well. Because we're used to selling wolf tickets, 
right? By the pound, we really are. And, uh, or at least telling enough so that we don't go into our experiences and create more wounds. But we have church wounds. Let's say a leader in our life. Let's just take it this way. Let's say the pastor fell, had a moral failure. And we've seen a lot of those in uh, recent news. High-profile leader, leaders. Uh, we've, I have a whole podcast on Ravi Zacharias and Carl Lentz and Bill Hybels and all these different ones. And lots of them I can could, I could name. And it's actually important to talk about because this is what happens in our world. Sometimes a leader will fall and it's a person that we respected, we learned from. I don't know how many Ravi Zacharias books I read. And to hear of the, I mean, the serious duplicity in his life is, it was, it was sort of devastating, honestly, up front for me. And then I sort of came to and I realized that he, he had his brokenness that was undealt with. But we have moral failure in the body of Christ. And sometimes a local leader or a pastor or a pastor at a church falls morally and it just devastates us. Maybe it's uh, with money. Those are the biggies. You know, sex and money are the two issues that tend to be the highest level failures and falls in the church. And when that happens, it creates a church wound for so many people. And, uh, and I don't have to ask you if, that's, if you've been around that before because I talked to lots of people. And over the years, I've talked to so many people where this has happened and it affects us. And, and so we wonder, can I trust again? Pastor Ben, can I trust you? And so I sort of represent sometimes the very thing that people have been wounded by right? That's happened. And so I sort of stand in place and I can be a healing agent if, if we can um, change that situation by trusting again. And can I tell you, you cannot heal without trusting again. You just can't. If you've been wounded, it's going to require more than forgiveness. It will require new trust. And so here's what I would say to you as your pastor, if, if that is what I am, I, I would love the opportunity to regain trust for any of you that have lost it from someone else. I will not promise you that I'm perfect, but I will do my best to serve you and to love you. I'm not your controller or, or, or anything like that, but I am here to serve you and I, I will try to do that. I will pray and I will serve you. I will be a brother to you. I will be a pastor as well. I take it very serious. I still believe in spiritual authority. I believe I may not know more than some people, but there's an anointing that God gives to pastors that he calls shepherds to take very seriously just like fathers, just like mothers, just like people in places of authority. And yes, authority can be abused and it is abused very often, but listen, it is not always abused. And God can call us back into places of healing and it happens to be that we also have to bring something to the table, all of us do, to trust again. I've got church wounds. I've been humiliated at churches before. I've got every reason to leave the church and not be a part of it. And so whenever I hear people talk to me and they say, you don't understand, I'm like, oh, I, I, oh, 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 I got to pray in this Holy Ghost, right? Oh, so tough. Mm. Yeah. I know what it's like to be a young man with zeal and enter into the church and to have people say some of the craziest things. And you just want to say, is that a piece of your brain over there? And you bring it to them. It'd be better if this was in and working while you're talking to me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not bitter though. But I mean, I have them. You know, you have them. And uh, I think it's important for us to bring all that has happened to us to the Lord. If we want to be healed. I, see, sometimes on the other end of our healing is us becoming a healer. You understand, like what you've gone through, what you've experienced, what you've been wounded by can often be that thing in your toolbox that you bring out and bring to the lives of others so that you can mend the broken heart, that you could set the captive free because you're filled with the spirit, you know the word, and you've walked through transformation and you did what Jesus said. You forgave, you loved, you trusted again. And as you did that, what you're doing is you're bringing Christ's likeness and the power of his presence and his person and his principles. You're bringing that to bear on the lives of so many others that need what you walked through. And when we walk through that as individuals and we do that as a church, we become a community that brings healing. And I'm selling to you the right thing. The world is like, dun, dun, dun. It's just bad. It's horrible. It's all bad. It's all dark. It's angry. And I want to tell you, Jesus heals. Jesus heals all the divides. I believe that. I'm sold out to that. So are you. We're sold out to the healing that Jesus brings. And we have church wounds. It may not be just a leader, but it could be that we, 
came from a church and we have um, not wounds, but maybe we have misconceptions about church. And, and, and uh, we're a part of a big church. We have a couple thousand people here online and on site. And I know it's different now, but still we have a lot of people. I, I, I want to just tell you and, and confess, if we had a church of 75 people, navigating the pandemic would have been easy. I mean, this just would have been no muss, no fuss. Uh, we would have been able to talk it out in a weekend. But that has not been the luxury that we have had. And so what we realize in all of that is that we're a part of something that's larger than the average size church. In America, the average size church is about 75 people. And I think it's reduced down to 60 now. That's actually a normal size church. So it's always funny when somebody says, oh, that's a small church. Actually, 60 to 75 people is an average American church. What we're a part of, when I told you we were an apostolic church or ascending church, I, I meant that. Whenever you get to a certain size, either you're a seeker-friendly, attractive sort of um, entertainment type of church, and I, I know that sounds like I'm being negative. I kind of am. I'm sorry about that. Either you become that where you entertain people and you actually facilitate consumerism, or you say, we're going to be a biblical model and an example, and we're going to send churches, plant churches, raise up missionaries, and we're going to do the work of the kingdom by equipping people. You have to make a decision, though. And so what happens when you're a part of a big church, you want the small church feel. In other words, you want to develop community without a lot of effort. When I was a youth pastor at a small church, we had one small group, right? It was called the church. <laughs> you know, and if Joe and Nancy and Bob or whatever, they showed up on Wednesday night, they showed up. But we never knew who was going to come, but we always had enough space for everybody because that's the size that we were. Well, we've got lots of small groups here at our church. And so we have to organize and we have to learn how to make the church smaller by delegating authority and realizing that our system of organization is actually really important. And so we appoint leaders and we delegate authority and we try to gather people together so we can experience community. But if you came from a small church and you come here and you long for a different feeling or experience, you just have to know that as a, a result of being here, there's blessings and there's burdens. And the burden on us at a large church is that it's going to take a little bit more intentionality for us to find community here, honestly. And that's me just telling you how it is. And so we have different examples that provide hindrance for us. Let me just tell you, the cultural example can be a hindrance for us. And that can mean a lot of different things. I mean, for example, we, um, I, <laughs> there's a lot of things I think about our current culture, and I sort of have five minutes left to tell you what I think about all that, which is impossible. And I wanna not just share my opinions, I just wanna illustrate how difficult it can be for us to grow in community when we understand what's facing us. The whole world has problems with community, okay? Now, there are civilizations, there are nations, there are cultures that do this better, and I don't know that I can speak to the depth of community that they experience because I believe that a community surrounded around the person of Christ is really where the substance is. But I can say this, in American culture, We've got a lot working against us. Do you realize that in our culture that we've been retreating from the civic life for a long time? I mean, the statistics from the 60s until now is just dramatically different. I remember when I was 19 years old, I bought my first piece of real estate. It was a condo in Kirkland. I bought it for $82,000. I love saying that. I love remembering that because it's nothing like that today. Now, if you want to buy a bicycle, it's $100,000, you know? <laughs> You know, I will live on my bicycle. I will not ride it. I will actually sleep there as well. <laughs> you know, just don't ride it while you sleep. But I bought my first condo. I was 19. I went to one homeowners association in my life. And literally, you could actually fit everybody in that homeowners association on one row. It was Fred, Barney, and Wilma, and I was Bam Bam. You know, that's what, <laughs> it was just like nobody showed up. It's, I don't know, there were hundreds of condos and there was just a handful of people that were complaining about how many people weren't there. And you're guilty, you know, you're in the homeowners association, you don't show up, most of you. A couple of you are like the treasurer, you're like, that's not true of me. I'm not you, sir, not you, ma'am. You're exercising your rights and responsibilities, help the rest of us. But my point is, is that we've retreated from civic life. Okay, the Boys and Girls Club, the YMCAs, the places and spaces of public life. We've retreated from all that. Not just Christians, but everybody has been retreating from that. The garage door goes up, the garage door goes down. And in Seattle, it's even worse. We call it the Seattle freeze. People don't want to know their neighbors. It's amazing because our culture cries out in a longing to want to know people and be reconciled. And say we need to, we need to come together. And, and even today, the upheaval of racism. And we condemn racism, by the way, in every form and fashion. 
and against Asian Americans, black Americans, African Americans, and white Americans as well. We condemn all forms of racism and so on. And in the culture that we're living in, there's this upheaval, this rising up. Yeah, you can, we can, amen, we can. I didn't stop long enough for you to do that. All right. But, we, but listen, the world's crying out for reconciliation because you cannot have this unity and this reconciliation unless it comes to a heart level. And only Jesus can actually deliver us from sin because racism is a sin. Racism is sin. You can't just, I mean, I, 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 all injustice is wrong and we need to stand on the right side of being against injustice. But it's, the issue is how do we bring healing? How do we bring healing? And so there's this uprisal and there's this upheaval and there's this crying out, amen. We're against all forms of racism and all of that. But the reality is, is that you and I as Christians, as followers of Jesus, on one hand, we cry out against something, but on the other hand, we cry out for something, and that is for Jesus to be king, for him to heal the heart, for his gospel to be true, and to be shared with people so that we can actually get right and heal and come together. If you take Jesus out, there, there's no healing, I've been a part of these things before. I've been a part of these conversations. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You, if you bring Jesus into it, all of a sudden, friends, this is why Jesus came from heaven to earth. He stepped into our story, our sin, our mess, and he is the answer. Because we were doing it all wrong all over the world. And so the righteous one steps into our unrighteousness and he becomes sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is why the cross is so important. Jesus had to die. He had to take our place so that we could have new life in him, that we could have the Holy Spirit, that we could live new, that we could be healing agents in the hands of God. It is not possible. I remember when I preached against racism one time and I talked about Jesus being the answer and I had people that got mad at me. They said, it's not just preaching the gospel, Pastor Ben. I know that's probably not what they sounded like, but it makes me feel better when I'm... It's not just preaching the gospel. I said, I know it's living like a Christian. It's being Christ-like. It's walking across the room. It's extending yourself into the lives of other people. It's going out of your way. By the way, all of those teachings are found in the gospels. It's, it's being a Christ, an actual Christ-following Christian. Yes, it, it isn't just saying something. It's not just telling everybody else. No, no, it's, it's living like Christ. It's speaking about Christ. But I'm just saying like culturally, Okay, we, we have these cultural things that are going on and influencing us and affecting us. And it affects us in here. What goes on out there has come in here and it affects us in here. And unless we, don't make, unless we make Jesus the center of what happens in here, all of that is gonna have a place in the church for which it does not belong. And I'm saying that in our world, people have been retreating from civic life forever. And what we're saying is, is that we, as the people of God, I believe that we have a moment, a divine opportunity right now to show the world something that they don't have. You and I have a moment of opportunity to show the world something that they don't have, nor can they get. They can, healing will not happen. You cannot heal sin without the only one that forgives and cleanses sin. You cannot do that. Amen. You can't. You won't. It won't happen. 10 years from now, I'm gonna quote the same thing. You come back, you get mad at me for saying that, you come back 10 years and let's just see how the world is better if Jesus isn't a part of it. Let's see. I'm willing to put everything on that, not just money. I'm willing to bet my whole life on what I just said right there, that Jesus actually is the answer. He doesn't just give answers, he is the answer. Unless everybody bows down to Jesus, it ain't gonna work. There is no unity, there is no healing, it won't happen. And that's radical Christianity. That's what the apostles literally gave their lives for. They died for Jesus Christ and that message, the message of his resurrection being true. They willingly gave their lives, preaching that, sharing that, living that, sacrificing themselves because they believed in something greater than themselves. They believed in someone greater than themselves. And we too today, even though we've got a lot of bad examples out there, unbiblical Christianity, unbiblical churches, we've got to learn how to become a biblical church. I'm not gonna entertain you. I just wanna tell you up front, I'm not gonna sing a song and dance. I say some goofy things because I'm being authentically me. And I'm the growing version of myself, by the way. In five years, I'll be better, guys, all right? I'll be better. But I'm not the only one that speaks on this pulpit. This thing surrounds around Jesus. We have many people that are gonna speak in this pulpit. We're, we're, we, we, you, us, the body of Christ, 
We matter in all of this equation, all of this, all of us, it matters. But we've got to understand we have cultural hindrances that are happening even right now. I've got a lot to say about that. I'm going to leave it alone. We have personal obstacles as well. I would go into all of that. I I could talk to you about depression today, anxiety. I could talk to you about medication. Every time I do, somebody gets offended. I don't mean to be offensive. I just want to talk to you about how medicated we are. And and, and part of this is that some people do have clinical depression and need to deal with that medically, and and there's no judgment or disrespect whatsoever. But I do think it's, uh, we've developed a culture where we think that if we just put a pill in our mouth, that all of the other things will go away. And my friends that are counselors and psychologists have told me, and maybe they won't say this to all of their clients, but they've told me very clearly, many of them, they've said, Ben, I meet with a lot of people that are isolated, and if they don't ever grow in relationships with other people where they can practice some of these principles, even just one or two people, they can't just heal alone. It requires us being together. Listen, I'm going to prophesy. Some of you in this room right now have a hard time even coming to church. There's a social anxiety over you. There's something that is trying to prevent you from even coming here. And I don't know what that is, but there's something that prevents you from coming here. And then you've heard the preacher or the person or the, or the Christian that's like, well, you just need to come. When you don't want to come, you just need to come. And it sounds, uh, it sounds so horrible to you when you hear somebody say that. But it's actually a good thing for them to say. We need, I had, I've had people all weekend come up to me and ask for prayer, open up their heart to me. You know what kind of humility it takes to come walk up to some. You've known the Lord 20 years and you've got to walk up to your pastor and say, will you just pray for me? I, 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 it's not a knowledge issue. It's there's something that you need God to shift inside of you. And when you, the Bible says, when we humble ourselves, he gives grace to the humble, empowering grace. God does something in our heart that nothing else can do. And I've watched it. I've watched countenance shift right as I'm praying for people. Why? Because God's doing something. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the humility that it took for somebody to walk up and say, will you pray for me? There's something going on. You spoke to it. You kind of touched on it. And I need God to change that in my heart. See, the more we give over to God, the more he heals. And the more healing he does in us, the more we bring healing to each other. And this community becomes something beautiful as a contrast in a culture that does not know how to do it. And this is what Jesus prayed. And I suppose I have to end with this because I don't have, I'm already running out of time and the clock's running fast and I'm trying to catch up with it and I'm just not able to. (laughs) Jesus prayed this for future disciples. And hear this in your heart. He prayed in John chapter 17. You can look it up later. He said, Father, I pray that they, future disciples, would be one, even as you and I are one. And he said, so that the world will know that you sent me. I pray that future disciples would be one, even as you and I are one, so that the world, that everyone else, the onlookers, can see something beautiful about this oneness in the body of Christ, and they will know that the resurrected Christ is real. Can I tell you that our ability to build community is evangelistic because it shows an example of what it could be and should be like because this is God's design. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 13 and verse 35. Jared, you can come. Thank you for being so patient. He's just, uh, he's taking the slow route on me. I appreciate that. Listen to this. Listen. By this, he's talking about love, loving one another. He's talking to Christians, talking about to followers of Jesus. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By love, all people will know that we are followers of Jesus because we love each other. And here's my question. How well are you doing in your love for each other? Because that's what we will be accountable for. We will be accountable for our love. Yielding to Jesus is the only way. And so I want to tell you this as we close. Um, Developing and building community is something that God has invested in, and he's calling us to partner with him because it's his design. And as we do that, whether it's that we attend regularly as a step. We serve in a ministry, not because we have needs that we want you to fulfill, because when we serve together, we serve each other, something happens that's special. Something happens that's special. We get to know a little bit more about each other. We start to develop friendships. There's something special about going in to connect after service. I mean, in this culture and in this day, it's just even coming online and being here, it's, it's almost like countercultural. I never thought that just participating in church would be radical. And that's almost what it is today. 
It's, it's, I never thought two years ago that would be one of the most radical things you could do is attend a church service. And yet here we are. And again, there's no shame for online. I mean, we, it's a weird world that we're trying to navigate together. I understand. There's something that we see in Scripture, though. As we partner with God's heart in the design of community, it's going to require more energy and more effort from us. And I just want to tell you, if you haven't found the kind of community that I'm talking about, where good relationships and vibrant relationships are growing in your life, or maybe you had that and you've kind of, over this last, last season, it's just hasn't been present. I just want to tell you, it's going to take some energy and some effort from all of us. We want to pray into that. We want to ask God where our fit is, but there is a fit for each one of us. There really is. And God will help us into that, go deeper and deeper and deeper so that we can become the example to the world that shows that Jesus is real. There's something beautiful about being an irresistible community. That church people want to be a part of. I just want to be the type of church that people want to be a part of. Not because we're so fantastical and entertaining, and, um, but because the substance of Christ is evident in what we do and how we do it. Amen? Will you stand? Let me commission you with the word today. The Bible says this as we close. Jesus said to love one another. The Apostle Paul said to the Roman church, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. He said, be of the same mind toward one another. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. He said, build up one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Serve one another. Show tolerance for one another. Speak the truth to one another. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Bear with one another, forgiving each other. Admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing together. Comfort each other. Encourage each other. Live in peace with each other. Consider how to stimulate one another on to love and to good deeds. Confess your sins to each other. The next scripture says, so that you might be healed. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to each other without complaint. This is the word of the Lord. And with God's help, we can fulfill what God's word says. Pray with me today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this community. And God, we ask for your grace and for your help to build together, to be together, to believe together. And so I thank you for Northwest Church as we move forward, as we grow into this next season and we see the lost saved and disciples made and people come to Christ and us get strengthened and touch our calling and release spiritual gifts and grow and become more sanctified to look like Jesus. I, I pray that you would spur us on, stir us on to be the people that you see us to be, you call us to be, you strengthen us to be. So Father, bless your people. We thank you today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.